Well, good day to you. It's Joel with the King Country dropping in to let you know that our brand new film, Unsung Hero, is in theaters now. It's Luke here. We've teamed up with the creators of Jesus Revolution to bring you this adventure of a lifetime. It's a powerful, true story about a family uniting, growing in their faith, and facing the impossible together. In theaters now, unsunghero.movie for more information. Rated PG. Parental guidance suggested. Welcome to the Heart of Dating podcast. Hey, it's Kate. I'm so glad you could join us this week as we try to entangle the ever so ambiguous world of dating as a Christian. Over here on Heart of Dating, we get real as we answer some tough questions and uncover transformative ways to approach Christian dating. Oh, and you better believe we have some laughs along the way because last time I checked, the struggle is hashtag real. You know what I'm saying? Now, let's get to the heart of the matter. Why, hello, friends, and welcome back to this week's Heart of Dating Select episode. I've been brainstorming the very best ways to serve you guys in this season, and I realize that we have so many new people that are listening in for the Heart of Dating. And because there are so many of you here that are new, either you just discovered us or maybe you joined a few months ago but haven't heard a lot of our past episodes... I wanted to give you a chance to listen to episodes that could really be helpful and timely for you right now. At the same time, if you are a Heart of Dating OG, you've been around here for a while or you've binge listened to the podcast, well, even for you guys, this could be an epic refresher on some of our past incredible content. So what I did was I went back through the Heart of Dating archives to bring back episodes that I really think are going to serve you in this season based on the things I know that are happening in the community right now. These episodes were hand-selected by me, which is why we call this series the Heart of Dating Select Series. And as I was going through some of our past episodes, I saw a trend. Some of our top episodes happened to be about things that had to do with the intersection of faith and mental health, which featured some of our epic doctors and experts that we've had on the show. So I decided that this Heart of Dating Select series is going to run over the next several weeks and feature some of those absolutely incredible doctors and experts. And in these shows, you are going to be equipped to tackle things such as dating anxiety, trauma, attachment style, love languages, soul ties, codependency, and more. So don't tune out these next few weeks. This content is truly going to help you. Now, one quick note, you've probably heard me talk about this, but you know that I am really into therapy, you guys. I mean, seriously, when I start dating a guy, I'm a little bit less concerned with what his credit score is, and I'm more concerned about, has he ever seen a therapist? You think I'm joking, but I'm not. Truly, therapy is the new sexy. I have dated far too many unhealthy people, and I myself have been really toxic in ways in past relationships. Now more than ever, I value faith and mental health, and it is just such a thing that I am focusing on in this season. You've probably heard me talk about faithful counseling before, and that's because it is amazing and it works, and we have gotten such great feedback from literally hundreds of you guys who have been using the service. It's an affordable option to get a virtual Christian therapist. And guess what? For Heart of Dating listeners, you get a 10% discount on your first month when you sign up through the Heart of Dating by going to getfaithful.com forward slash heart of dating. Literally and truly, hundreds of people have tried faithful counseling within our community and so many of you guys have loved it. So if you've never tried it before, maybe now's your chance. On today's Heart of Dating select episode, we are talking about love addiction. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> So in November of 2019, I had the honor and privilege of getting to visit an incredible place called Onsite in Cumberland Furness, Tennessee, which is outside of Nashville. For those of you that don't know, Onsite is a therapy retreat center that is known for their therapeutic framework combined with their healing hospitality that allows you to truly find emotional healing that you need to thrive in your life. And if you've read my book, Thank You for Rejecting Me, you will know that I actually talk at length about different experiences I had at Onsite and how intense these experiences were, but also how equally transformative they were. Their vision at Onsite is to connect the world through empathy, self-awareness, resiliency, and compassion. They are committed to creating the highest quality experience possible through their passion, trauma-informed expertise, 
clinical innovation and healing hospitality. So let me give you the lowdown. Basically, you go away for a week, you arrive at this beautiful oasis of a location in the middle of nowhere with no distractions, literally no technology, they take away your phone and your computer, and what you find is a beautiful community of amazing people. Also, they have a stellar amount of therapists and they fill you with deliciously yummy food amid the most comfortable and welcoming of accommodations. I honestly never wanted to leave, which is pretty telling because you do a lot of really hard work while you're at onsite. Now, I'll be honest, this time transformed my life in so many ways. And I had been wanting to go for some time after meeting several people who had gone and raved about it and had said, Kate, you just need to go. It's going to be so impactful and transformative in your life. So finally I did it. I pulled the trigger and I went to their healing love and relationships program. This program helps you to address the core wounds that are driving self-sabotaging behaviors and the need for external validation and approval through relationships. It's a really great program for anyone with a historical pattern of dysfunctional relationships that's also frequently disappointed by unrealistic expectations and has codependency and other things of that nature. I have to say, just about everything about Onsite was nurturing, healing, and empowering. And I venture to say, I will never quite be the same. This six-day healing, love, and relationships program provided a safe and nurturing environment for building my self-worth. So for this conversation today, I had the pleasure of sitting down with one of the on-site professional therapists, Christine Jackson, to talk about something that I have struggled with throughout my life, and that is love addiction and codependency. Both of these things are a huge part of my story personally, and I have a feeling that many of you are going to be able to relate to these things as well. Christine Jackson is a clinical supervisor at OnSite. With a Master of Social Work from the University of Pennsylvania, Christine went to UCLA for a certification in co-occurring disorders. She remained in California for the next two decades working as clinical director of mental health, addictions, and eating disorder programs. As a lifelong learner, Jackson is certified in several modalities, including play therapy, cognitive behavioral therapy, brief strategic family therapy, motivational interviewing, eating disorders, daring way, and experiential therapy. She lives in Nashville with her husband, Kelly, and their dog, Scully. You guys, today, Christine and I dive deeper into love, addiction, and codependency. It was such a beautiful conversation where I actually shared quite openly about my personal struggles with love, addiction, and codependency. So I really hope that this Heart of Dating Select episode encourages you. Christine Jackson, welcome to the Heart of Dating podcast today. I'm so excited to have you. Thank you. What an honor and a privilege to be here. Excited <laughs> to be in your, specifically your heart space as well. Oh, I love it. Christine, I just, it's so cool the way we got to meet. We met at such an amazing space called Onsite and I actually haven't really talked about it with the listeners of Heart of Dating yet, though I post about it a little on social media, but um, gosh, that just, the week I spent it on site was such a precious, such a memorable, such a life-changing experience for me. And that's where I had also the amazing opportunity to meet you at Onsite. <laughs> I love that. Oh my God. And I I can't wait to hear how you've been since. Oh my um, gosh. Yes. Well, I for every and I'm certainly happy to answer that for everyone to hear. I would love to just talk and if you could maybe even let people know, you know, what is onsite? I know you you do some work with them, but what is what is this thing called onsite? Cuz people are going to be like, you're onsite at what? Like what is <laughs> It is an interesting name. Yeah. Um developed 40 years ago by a woman named Sharon Washlesser Cruz and she used to take the healing heart of what we do to people, which then made it be called oh, onsite cuz she would be coming to you. Oh yeah, she would be coming O-N-S-I-T-E to you. So <laughs> Onsite Workshops um, has been around that long and has helped tens of thousands of individuals feel better equipped to handle the challenges that life throws their way mm. because the Onsite team, including me, truly believes that no one should have to carry the difficulties of life alone. Mm. So what we do specifically is 
We offer four to six day workshops of different topics mm -hmm. for those looking to better understand themselves and how they relate with others. And those who need to unpack stress, burnout, resolve emotional pain, repair fractured relationships, on-site partners with the best therapist, in my yeah. humble biased opinion, <laughs> yeah, from all over the globe um, that specialize in trauma, codependency, process addiction, stress, burnout, family of origin issues, shame resiliency, and help people overcome dysfunctional patterns to establish healthy relationships and mm. to really be able to live life instead mm. of just survive it. Right. Thrive instead of just survive, right? Yes, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. And so you guys do such, it's so incredible. And I had heard about OnSite for some time. I've had a few incredible people. In fact, someone who, a dear friend of mine who came on the podcast, actually, he's been on twice, Mike Foster. He actually, oh, you know, yeah. Mike? Yeah. I do. Yes. So he's what a great guy. He is just the best. He's just our modern day Mr. Rogers. Shout out, Mike. Seriously. <laughs> Holla. Hi, Mike. And he actually, over a year ago, I was telling you before we had an episode on codependency and he came on to talk about that subject. I just, I think I first heard of Onsite actually through him years ago. And he's just raved about his experience there and hearing about it both through his podcast, Fun Therapy, from him personally, or I've taken his workshop, Rescue Academy, I was like, whoa, this place on-site sounds really flipping amazing. And I want to find out more. And then since then, I've, I've like met uh, multiple people who have crossed my paths who have also been to on-site and just shared the impact of there's just like this deep, like, wow, that was a really hard week and really beautiful and a lot of feelings and you should do it. <laughs> you should go. Um, and so after hearing about this over and over, I was like, okay, I need to, I really want to experience this incredible place. And so I had the opportunity to go to the program. What was it? It was in November of 2019. For one of your, um, you, I love this program, the Healthy Love and Relationships Program, which sounds so perfect for what I do and for what I'm all about. <laughs> yes. And truly, it's one of my favorites as well. We, and I know what you're doing to reach out to those who are looking at their relationship patterns. There's no better courage than to draw on the intimacy that we are trying to connect with others. And if it feels like something isn't happening right in that, it can really deeply feel like a wounding as I walk around in the world. So yeah. I love that kind of healing. Yes, me too. And I will say it takes a lot of courage to go to a place like onsite because mm -hmm. for people who don't know, you go, like Christine said, for like four to six days. You also, just for everyone listening, if you're curious to go, you surrender your technology, but it's amazing. <laughs> it's very hard at first, but not actually. It's so beautiful to really strip away distractions and come to a place that's kind of in the middle of nowhere, that's so peaceful that you guys make it so comforting, like everything about the atmosphere from the the aesthetics there to the cabins, to the people, to just everything feels comfortable, to the food. Oh my goodness, I cannot forget the food. <laughs> um, everything just feels like a warm comfort blanket, which is nice while you're also dealing with really hard things during the day. Um, Absolutely, yes. <laughs> I kind of need that. But it's beautiful to be able to strip some things like technology and distractions away from us so that we can really focus and focus on learning, just meeting other people as well and our own healing, but also here, like healing through the community of other people, which I know is a big thing that you guys are about as well. Absolutely. I think one of the things, and we're talking about that, that we go around yeah. the world and in relationship to others, we often have reflections of aspects of ourselves. And truthfully, what I am used to presenting to the world is oftentimes a well-honed mask um, that I think this is what the world wants me to be. And so when I can, and the element of stripping away the technology, taking away the iPhone, iPad, <laughs> iWatch, whatever Ever. it is, I everything. We, <laughs> I everything, then we begin to look at each other in the eyes and mm. we begin to connect with our hearts and we begin to be human beings mm. instead of human doers. Because inevitably, if I have all my stuff, the other thing we do is we ask people to come as people, not as your professions. Mm -hmm. So it, within the first two minutes of most conversations, and particularly 
probably with daters as well, <laughs> we ask without even intentionally doing this, we say, oh, my name is, what do you do? Yes. And then we build up so many stories about whatever the answer is mm -hmm. that it's hard to connect heart to heart when we're still trying to figure out, oh, that probably means you're fill in the blanks. And I'd rather fill in the blanks with my heart. So we ask people not only leave that aside, but just come in with your name and let's try to connect that big journey, that 18 inches between head and heart. Yes, I love that. And what I so deeply loved also about this and like not sharing with anyone that I was a dating coach was, which also is funny because I'm there for like my own healthy love and relationships. And I'm like, I'm a dating coach. Hello. Um, <laughs> it was just comical I hear you. for me behind the scenes. But uh, and speaking to that, every I think every therapist, every counselor, I'm not a therapist, but everybody that does anything also needs their own help with that, even if they talk on the Absolutely. subject. So it was so special for me to do that. But what I also love just within what you're saying is at these meals with people that we would commune with, everyone else there, you know, usually your security blanket answer is to talk about work or to talk about yeah, talk about work, talk about what you do. It's like an easy filler conversation because it's a lot of what we spend our days doing. But at the end of the day, we would meet together for dinner or for lunch and it would be like, hey, well, how are you doing? And you really don't have any choice but to see like, well, <laughs> I mean, I can't talk about work. So I guess I got to be really real about me and what I'm where I'm really at today and so you immediately get connected with people with total strangers and you have this you share such a beautiful heart-to-heart -heart connection I I think that was something that outside of the work we did and the hard work in the sessions like just the community of have, being seen by a total stranger and not being seen back by them for what I do but for who I am was just yeah. so powerful and I don't know about you, but when I authentically, vulnerably allow someone to see me at my messy, because that's what I believe that I'm doing as I hone this professional mask. I, I believe, you know, I came as a therapist my first time and I was so glad that no one knew I was a therapist as I <laughs> sorted out what, what I needed to work on that if someone can see me and hold me and love me and appreciate me as I share my mess, then for the first time, maybe for some of us, then someone's really seen me instead of, and holding all of that instead of, oh my gosh, if you really knew me mm -hmm. behind my profession or professional self or the, the, pers the personal self that is the mess underneath the public image that I've created, if I've been doing image management, it's hard mm. to let someone in all the way to the place that I want to. So I am so curious about <laughs> yes. you yes. and how you're doing as you <laughs> launch from that place with your big heart. Yeah. My gosh, there. I thank you for asking. I... It's been, well, one thing that's been really cool is I'm still in touch with my group, the small group I had, mm -hmm. and that's been really special. We've been doing a book study together. Um, and so that's been really nice to keep connected. And just personally myself, I mean, I love that you guys talk about like the two degrees. Um, maybe will you just quickly explain that and then I'll explain sure. where where I'm at with the two degrees. Yeah, I almost used that phrase when I asked you. I thought, oh, maybe not everyone uses that. <laughs> so we at Onsite really suggest and encourage that when you're coming out of a place where we've basically done metaphorically some open heart surgery to get it more open, then take the shifts, the desire to make some changes in your life with a two degree rudder. Mm. So if I set sail and try to change course in the direction that my heart's been wanting for two degrees, then can you imagine what happens and unfolds after a day, a week, a month, a year mm. in that direction? Right. And if I go in here and just, wow, and I want to make a 180, I can really self-sabotage. I can yeah. really say, oh my gosh, I thought I was going to, how many of us in January 1st say, I'm going <laughs> to eat right, I'm going to exercise. And, you know, statistics would say that those are all abandoned because we've maybe done too big mm -hmm. of a want and desire step and keep the want and desire, but can you make yourself successful in two degrees or more? So Sounds like that's happening for you. <laughs> yes. So a few of my two, and I love that because it makes it so much more 
manageable and it it levels the expectation and also uh it's like increments over time which i think like you said over time makes so much of a, it make a huge change you're totally in a new course at first it may seem small but over time consistently doing that you're somewhere totally different and um so for me there were some major nuggets and major discoveries personally that I needed to come to, but I just, a big work we did was, you know, figuring out where I, my tendencies within love addiction, and then also why I've gotten there, mainly through my inner child stuff, which I had not done a lot of work on that before. And so some of my two degrees, like work has been connecting to my inner child. And I've done that through meditation. Christine, every morning meditation with you was incredible, (laughs) by the way. (laughs) And yes. And so I've sometimes find it hard to do meditation on my own sometimes, even though I've been doing my best. And then I've also found places to go to group meditation, which helps me accountability wise, because I know if I'm in the room, there's no phones allowed. (laughs) I'm going to do the meditation, you know, for the full time. And that I live in LA. So everyone who's listening is gonna be like, really, you've got a meditation class in LA. It's a very LA thing to do. (laughs) But it's been amazing. I also just fully transparent, like no Notice that in the inner workings of my heart and my inner child, there was a lot of built up angst that I had for a lot of reasons. And so I realized and recognized I needed to release that in ways. And if I don't release that, it usually comes out through a variety of means. And so I've been taking up boxing, which has been amazing. Wow. Um, I love that. I love it, girl. It is. I go in with an intention in my boxing class. I'm focused. What am I frustrated about? What lie do I believe? What who hurt me? What is and what do I need to focus on? And just like literally this entire hour, you know, punch this bag and do. And it's a class. It's great. But just the physical act of moving those frustrations, the angst, the anger out of my body has been so, so helpful. And staying in touch with my group and and just really practicing, to be honest, some of these things that I learned even within relationships, because I've had dating situations since then just that have come up. And it's been so helpful to come back to the things I've learned. Um, and it's actually really changed some of the ways I've been functioning, which has been amazing. So <laughs> I'm so happy to hear that. And I'm a big believer that, you know, Knowledge is just a rumor until the body can express it. So I love that we can know or be smart about a whole bunch of things, but there's a somatic experience oftentimes to our wounding. And there is a somatic expression that can release it in a really healthy healthy and helpful way and probably makes you really badass. Or Probably really, I just, I, you're on my team. Okay, I can count on you as my tribe. I want to be on that side of it. <laughs> yes, girl. I mean, this is so funny to the point of I had to have a hard conversation with a friend this week. And so before we had the conversation, I was like, girl, do you want to just first go to boxing together? <laughs> so we did and we got it all out. And then we had the hard conversation after. And it was, we were both so much more relaxed. <laughs> and it was oh, amazing. That's great. Fully, fully recommend it. So, Christine, I do want to, now that we've kind of gone through some of what Onsite is, what you guys do there, I'd love to kind of go through just a few things that I, that we talked about at the program that I know is going to be really helpful for people, just even if this is like an introduction, if nobody has heard of some of the things we're going to talk about, or if they don't know enough information, maybe this can be a launch pad for them to see themselves in some of these patterns and see, oh, okay, yeah, I can relate to that and maybe have some tools to go about it a little different. And one thing we talked about a lot at Onsite that I can highly relate to uh, is something called love addiction. I would love if you could just explain what is love addiction? Sure. Try to unpack that. (laughs) Um, That's a big one. I appreciate the opportunity to do it. And I want to go backwards to go forward if it's okay, because, well, let me invite you into this conversation. Before we unpack love addiction, can you just give me three adjectives that best describe love for you? Oh, wow. That's good. Okay. Um, I would say comforting, safe, Mm -hmm. and... I would say spiritual, but to me that it's a spiritual practice as well. So that would be beautiful. Yeah. 
And if we were going along with some Corinthians, we might say love is patient, love is kind. We might add those to words like comforting and safe and spiritual. I love your word. Yes. And so before I step into a conversation about love addiction, I, I always like to go back to what is love? And for me, all those beautiful words take me to a higher place. Mm. Love is all of that. And in our new way of wording, we're also, thanks to people like Brene Brown and others, <laughs> we also know this word called shame. And so I don't want to do a shame dump on such a beautiful concept as love. Mm. So to put love addiction as a term, <laughs> I think it has been powerful and helpful. And people like Pia Melody and other people have done such an extraordinary job of helping me to understand the craving mm. that feels addictive and never in the history of ever has me texting someone 30 times in the first hour of just going, where the heck are you? And then putting explanations and mad emojis on it ever been for me, comforting, safe, or spiritual, yes. your words. So I want to unpack that for those of you that are at the heart of dating, truly going towards or wanting more love in your life, that is a beautiful thing. Mm -hmm. And in fact, I would argue an innate biological human mm -hmm. drive. Yeah. And so I don't want to make any part of that wrong because right. that's what we're going towards, I hope. And I hope all the love in my life helps me ascend to the person that I'm supposed to be in this life. Mm, I love that. So I don't want to shame it. Mm. And the term love addiction came along because it's not love. I would say that love addiction is an obsession. So rather than trying to find that one person, maybe there's a couple out there in this lifetime, but maybe we're looking for the one person that I want to partner with that I can really be comforted by safe within their experience and helps me to have a spiritual relationship. I'll mm -hmm. keep using your words. <laughs> That's a beautiful thing. When it comes love addiction, love addiction is an obsession with finding the world in one lover mm -hmm. rather than the one lover in the world that I can connect with. Yes. So when a person's own growth and development, as you alluded to, sometimes it happens early in our life that there's been built up an experience that creates a drive. And I will say, oftentimes the phrase is, we repeat what we need to and still have yet to repair. Mm. So if, for instance, early on in my life, I may have a primary caretaker or someone that was supposed to be there that mm, they were sometimes there, yeah. sometimes intentionally, well, then what may feel familiar to me as I create relationship models and internal working from that primary experience is I may believe that the best I can get is someone who's mm, sometimes there, mm, right. sometimes intentional. And I will keep going to that out of maybe an innate drive to heal it, mm. maybe a subconscious desire to do, maybe understand it. But if, if I do not, as you did, unpack with awareness or intentionality, some of the wounding, then inevitably I may set up experiences that further wound me in the department of those early years of wanting someone. Yeah. And in fact, wanting an entire world within that someone that can meet my needs. So I guess to further answer, hmm. Pia Melody talks about it this way. She says, think of the love addiction cycle, yeah. a love addiction cycle, a pattern of behavior as being obsessed with a fantasy. And I'll go one step further saying it's a fear driven response towards a fantasy. And one step further, I would argue that fear is the opposite of love. Yeah. But if fear is driving me to say, what the heck, where's my partner? What, what are they doing? What are they not doing? How, how do they not know me by now that I need that text because mm -hmm. I just went through this experience? Where are you? If I'm doing that out of fear that they might leave me that I'm not enough or that I'm too much. Those are the core messages that I need to look at, mm. not in the other person, but I need to look within me. Yes. That's so good. It's like, okay, is this bringing up fear for us? And what messaging is that bringing up within us? And kind of taking that next step, which is to say, instead of blaming it on the other person, looking for the other person to fill that, it's about more so instead reflecting to say, wait, 
Why, why are you having all of that fear and what messages, why are those messages there to begin with? Right. Kind of. And then unpacking that. Exactly. Because if I'm going to make the solution external, Mm. then that's a pretty dangerous game, but I'm going to invite your listeners and anyone to love themselves enough to be curious about what they can do within healing themselves. Because I promise you this, all the capacity is within each and every one of us. And all the solutions probably start within us. Mm. I cannot have intimacy without first the letter I. I need to know who I am. And in fact, I need to know who I am and where I end and you begin in order to have a relationship that's healthy. Oh, I love that, Christine. I've never heard that. I cannot have intimacy without the capital letter I. That is so good. Um, And so often when I coach people, the, you know, people come to me for coaching and I'm like, this isn't about being Will Smith hitch for you. Like I I (laughs) am not here to just like give you the best date of your life or give you your husband, like a husband delivery service. (laughs) So much of this, we also end up talking about the relationship with God, the relationship with self and how that is directly impacting how they show up and even see their dating life, you know, and we start there in coaching because, I, I, and that's a lot of the first times I meet with people, it's about that because we can't just go straight to dating. I'm like, I'm not about that because if we don't fix these core issues, if we don't talk about the core things that are affecting your mentalities, both about other people and about yourself, then we're not, you're not going to show up in dating in true confidence and true love and true wholeness. And so, gosh, I wouldn't want to do that for people, you know? And so, oh my I God. love that. I just got chills and no wonder it's called the heart of dating yes. because you're really, I mean, that what a beautiful phrase. Yes. What a beautiful title to the experience and the journey that you take people on. Mm, thank you. So here's the deal. You don't have to scroll very far down your newsfeed to find a story about the restorative effects of collagen. It's all the rage these days, but it's also way more than just the hype. With all the news about collagen on the market these days, how do you know which brand to actually invest in? You can get the very best collagen on the market today from Ancient Nutrition. Ancient Nutrition has one goal, to transform the health of every individual on the planet with history's most powerful superfoods. Whether you want to improve your body, sharpen your mind, or just feel like your very best self, Ancient Nutrition makes supplements that get real results you can see and feel. All Ancient Nutrition products are made from the highest quality ingredients and are rigorously and repeatedly tested for purity. Their best-selling multi-collagen protein powder includes five types of collagen. It is the first and only collagen on the market with clinically studied ingredients proven to help reduce joint comfort as early as day one, improve fine lines and wrinkles after four weeks, and transform your overall skin tone after eight weeks. It's unflavored and dissolves in any liquid, so you can put a scoop in your morning coffee, smoothie, or even your baked goods. Personally, you guys, I love mixing my Ancient Nutrition Multi-Collagen Protein Powder into my morning coffees. It is my routine and I love it. And right now, you guys, Ancient Nutrition is offering 20% off your first order when you go to ancientnutrition.com and enter the promo code HEART at checkout. That's ancientnutrition.com, entering the promo code HEART, and you'll get 20% off. Hope you enjoy. All right, y'all. It's time to get honest. I've struggled with adult acne for years and it's been incredibly difficult to say the least. Now this is terrible to even admit you guys, but back in the day, I used to heat up a washcloth and in essence tried to burn the bad acne off of my face. This quote unquote worked for a time being, it made the acne go down, but eventually all it did was leave even worse red scarring on my face. I've also gotten other terrible advice to put toothpaste on my acne and all sorts of other weird solutions and concoctions. But here's the fun fact, most home remedies and over-the-counter acne products don't work. And even worse, they can really damage your skin. Exhibit A. But do you know what actually does work? Prescription treatments. That's why I'm so excited to partner with Apostrophe, the sponsor of today's episode. 
Apostrophe is a prescription skincare company that offers science-backed oral and topical medications that are clinically proven to help clear acne. They actually connect you with a board-certified dermatologist who will create a personalized treatment plan that is perfectly tailored to your skin. All you have to do is fill out Apostrophe's online quiz about your skin goals and medical history. Then you'll snap a few selfies and your dermatologist will create your customized treatment plan. Apostrophe treats acne, but they can also help you hit your other skincare goals, like reducing redness, wrinkles, and even dark spots. Since I'm now in my 30s, I really felt that it was time to stop my adult acne and start working on the redness and some of the wrinkles I'm even getting. That's why Apostrophe has truly been amazing in my life. Today, I'm so excited to share that we have a special deal for our audience. You can save $15 off your first visit with a board-certified dermatologist at apostrophe.com slash heartofdating when you use our code heartofdating. Now, this code is only available to our listeners. To get started, you go to apostrophe.com slash heartofdating, click begin visit, and then use our code heartofdating at sign up and you'll get $15 off your dermatology visit. That's A-P-O-S-T-R-O-P-H-E dot com slash heart of dating and use the code heart of dating to get your dermatology visit and save $15. We thank Apostrophe for sponsoring this podcast and saving our skin. Now, in this process, there's also, I guess there's kind of two different things that can happen. You can be more love addicted or more love avoidant, as I understand it, right? And can you kind of talk through that? Yes. And again, I would go back to, you talked a little bit, you alluded to. So I would go back to talking about all of this as an attempt to repair and attempt to repair an attachment wound. So there's a whole nother thing that I would call these, but in the traditional language of love addicted, maybe I fear deeply abandonment. Mm. And then when I get maybe by hook, crook, or by showing up as the person I thought you wanted me to be, I attract the person that I think I really want to love and that loves me back. And once I do, the underlying fear of abandonment will make me even fear the intimacy because I'll try to put intensity into a relationship with a neediness, the Mm. fantasy of love, denying my emotional needs because I'm not sure if that will be too much or drive my partner away. The reality um, of stress sometimes increasing in intensity and then there's a cycle of a painful withdrawal from that fantasy, which can feel literally like that big old organ called my heart is breaking. On the other side of that, that's doing their own sort of cycle and the traditional cycle of love addiction is a love, what we would call a love avoidant. Mm -hmm. And they fear intimacy and then abandonment because it's really important for a love avoidant to feel like they're getting some level of love, but then may get quickly overwhelmed. Mm -hmm. And these two pair perfectly and perfectly with each other. Their dysfunction dances and matches really well. So the love (laughs) avoidant creates intensity outside of the relationship because their biggest concern is the neediness of another, which they're co-creating in the cycle. And so if there was a bumper sticker for each of these, the love avoidant might say, it would say something like, I'm worried I mean too much to you. Mm -hmm. And the love addicted person's bumper sticker might look something like, I'm worried I'm not important enough to you. Yes. And then they dance. (laughs) They dance. And then they dance this crazy dance. (laughs) Exactly. And this is, I think, very common to happen. And it's odd. And I don't know if there's statistics about this, but I seem to, as I... I can relate more to the love addicted person based on my childhood, my history, what I've learned about myself. But I seem to in the past find myself typically with love avoidance. And it's it's a very interesting situation. I and I've talked about this with a lot of friends as well, because what happens, at least from what I've experienced, I'll talk very candidly and you can kind of come in and correct or explain more detail is, you know, I get excited. I'm really, whoa, this could be really incredible. My mind starts thinking about it. I start thinking they're just this wonderful person. 
and my mind maybe starts going into a little bit of that fantasy land and you know I'm like kind of typically when I'm in this cycle I'm like I'm gonna show them how amazing I am and I'm like super awesome and then (laughs) I notice them at first it's all good it's fine and dandy and then eventually it's not (laughs) eventually Mm -hmm. they're more they're not sending the the sweet text after the date or they're not responding as quickly and they seem to be more distant and more isolated and I'm like wait a second what's happening wait oh my gosh and that creates this like stress storm within me where I'm like is this something I did did they do something I'm stalking on Instagram now are they with any other women and it's just I mean this is just for real and then for me I'm like it, it I start acting out in whatever way that is (laughs) and and you know then when I have a conversation they're like wait a second like chill (laughs) you're like nothing's happening I'm just busy with work and I'm like (laughs) right uh oh okay I mean sure I guess work's a good excuse fine but then it continues because now I feel like the trust has been broken a little bit for me and I'm like okay well now I don't know if they're gonna come back You know, because I start feeling I'm fearing the abandonment anyhow. And then meanwhile, the love avoidant is like feeling I'm being really needy. This is just really candid to the listeners. This has happened to me many times. So I'm just you would not be the only one. I feel like if we ask the world to raise their hands, if they relate, I would see a lot of hands up right now. Yes. Yeah. And then you start obsessing over what you said, how you said it, how long in between texts are things going? How long is it between seeing one another? It's all of those things, which in the end make you feel completely sick. Like you feel wrought over like my brain mentally back in the day when this was really bad, Christine, like I couldn't focus on anything else. Sure. Um, I was just like in a conversation with someone else and seeing, did he text me? Oh my gosh, no. Okay. And I couldn't even remain present. And so it took me away from friendships, from truly being present and enjoying the moment and um, so many things. And I think that I, I put it a lot on the other person instead of taking responsibility as well for my own tendencies and patterns within that right sure anyway I I'm, that's just a long kind of thing what, what do we do to kind of get out of this or what happens in these situations yeah well first I think there's a courage to naming what the internal experience is because it's so beautiful you have this platform because I think I resonate with it. I'm sure a zillion million people would too, to an aspect of that story. So I think it takes courage to name, this is what's going on in my brain mm-hmm. as I'm trying to, to find a place, safe, comfy landing for my heart. Yeah. So I appreciate you having words for it. I appreciate you having the self-awareness and the courage to match self-awareness and courage to have this opportunity in this platform to reach out to others who might feel the same. I hear you. And just to use your example, it highlights or illuminates the fact that for me, that definitely sounds like one of those love addiction cycles, because fear, if we looked at it neuroscientifically, fear makes us really myoptic focused on one thing and one thing only, and it becomes a matter. It feels sometimes like it's survival, life or death, if that text comes through. And then there's that awful thing where there's only bubbles on the text and then they disappear. (laughs) Oh no, yes. Oh my gosh, right? Oh, it's terrible. Or if someone has their read receipts on, it's just like, you read it, but you didn't respond. How could you not, right? And then the stories we make up in between the text or the bubbles or the silence between, I read it and why aren't you saying something? And so it's our stories that we're making up that need to be looked at Mm. because maybe the story is like you said hey I had work it was really busy today oh that's great I mean I guess that's a valid excuse for now but now I've begun to reveal what I'll call my crazy making (laughs) it's not crazy because it's 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 comes from a place of survival but it sure can be crazy making (laughs) and so if I have just begun to reveal a tip of that then the next time you walk away for let's call it work then I'm going to not only question that because that's already where my head is, but now I've revealed that I'm not the, what did you call it? The super awesome woman who just walked into your life. Yes. So now I've revealed enough about myself that I'm for sure thinking that you're going to abandon that relationship. So we intensify Mm -hmm. and actually feed our fears and make it 
more realistic that that then would happen because we've become more quote unquote overwhelming. The need and desire for love is beautiful. The neediness is out of a fear that it is not love. Love sets us free. Never, never, never does it do anything else. And you talked about not being able to be present. When I'm in love, I, everything is amazing. I'm so present. I want to hug the pizza delivery person because love expands and has a ripple effect. And I want to share that with you too, not in a sexualized way, but I just want to share that the aspect of love. And Mm. I guess that's where we could take a side trip and distinguish between love and sex. But rather than that, I will stay on this. And the part of the question you asked was, what can we do? And we've already talked about some of the first part of it and it's self-awareness. It's get get away from believing that the other is the problem or the solution Mm. enough to come home to yourself and begin to explore the beliefs that created this. So that's definitely the first step. I really love that. And if I can name it as going back to your words, comforting, safe, and spiritual, that dance doesn't feel like any of those. So maybe this is where I add in comforting support. Mm -hmm. Maybe this is where I go to someone else for safety. Maybe this is where I go to my spiritual resources and say, look, God, I am not doing well. (laughs) (laughs) Help me (laughs) love myself in the way that I know that you do in Mm. order to show up differently. Yeah. How do I come back to that? Yes. That's so good. (laughs) I think that that's been so much of the journey for me, Christine, so much that I learned at Onsite and that I had started learning also before that is how much can I take care of this myself as well? If I'm anxious right now, I want to figure out because of this person, what they are and are not doing, what within me can I control about that? Um, And it's not to say we don't have needs because that's been a thing for me as well. Like there are certain level of needs that we have that are valid, you know, but there's also a level of figuring out and recognizing these patterns, especially when it's being, when it's kind of debilitating us. And it's our, at least in the, when you're more the love addict, it's like you're over-focusing on it and it's like it's kind of destroying your mind and it's taking all of your attention. And so that's to me a cue of like, Hey, if you're, I mean, maybe we can even just on that segue into some of the symptoms or some of the signs, like if someone's listening, if they can maybe see themselves in the situation, but what would be more signs if you are a love addict or like, you know, love addicted versus a love avoidant in the love addiction cycle? Well, and I, with your blessing, hopefully we'll step away from the labels just to say, if you are doing a cycle or a dance of unhealthy bonding, period, the end whatever perspective you may take, because even those two roles, even though they pair uh, perfectly and perfectly well together, I will hopefully step away from a label or a role in order to really look at my behavior and then the beliefs that support them. So some of the behaviors that will key me off to begin to look at my beliefs and in a way not sacrifice the super awesome person that I am in on behalf of this relationship is like in unhealthy bonding, I could enter the relationship through the fantasy. And many of us do that. There's the honeymoon phase. And it sounded like in the way that you were sharing, once the roses started being less or the gestures of the honeymoon phase began to go ideally into another phase of relationship, maybe I begin to tell myself that oh, if there isn't a honeymoon, there isn't love. Mm. And maybe we need to separate that because I've been married for more than a decade. And certainly it doesn't always feel like honeymoon stages to a relationship where hopefully there's a conscious way of loving someone and knowing them and loving them even more. And that it doesn't involve the small gestures, but the big hearts that have paired. So back to your question, I may in unhealthy bonding be in denial about the other person's unavailability emotionally, not just physically. I may experience an event that destroys a denial, like, what do you mean you have to go to work? And then if I begin to feel like the fantasy is shattered, I got a couple of choices. I can either rebuild that pedestal that you were talking about, Mm -hmm. rebuild my fantasy and double down with intensity, or I can begin to look at and love the real person in front of me. Mm -hmm. So I don't have to keep up my mask and I'm not trying to have a relationship with a mask. Um, So unhealthy bonding, I might 
engage in obsessive planning on how to get this person back or their interest back. I may barter sex for love. Mm -hmm. I may engage in addictive behaviors outside of the relationship to medicate the pain of withdrawal from they just went to work. I'm going to have a glass of wine. Mm. Fine. A glass of wine doesn't have to be unhealthy, but if my intention is to numb the pain that this person or the void that this person just created, then I need to look at that. Yes. And in unhealthy bonding, I either return to a relationship or start a new relationship still with that fantasy, mm. still with the fantasy intact. So in other words, different day, different person, same fantasy. Yep. Yep, I can really relate to all this. I'm taking notes and I'm like, hmm, never done that before. <laughs> no. Right? And for me, the way if I can just match your your beautiful vulnerability, for me, I would really have prior to the marriage that I have now, but when I was in the dating world, I would have a tolerance for mm. high-risk behavior or inappropriate behavior yes. that was not warranted. Mm. So my self-worth was underneath my beautifully honed mask, but my self-worth or low worthlessness or inability to be without someone was really confusing me. And it would just show up as a neediness and a tolerance for what I didn't need to tolerate while an inner rage was brewing over the lack of nurturing or the perceived abandonment that I was experiencing. So I would get highly manipulative. I would get controlling while the unrealistic expectations rode the relationship. Mm. And I would mistake that intensity for intimacy. Ooh, oh my gosh, you're speaking to me so much <laughs> because <laughs> I, yeah, and the listeners know I've shared about my story of abuse from a really terrible relationship years ago, mm. but that it so describes exactly what I experienced within that relationship. He was... And, and that was, and that's how I became, you know, I became highly controlling, highly manipulative because these cycles were continual and it was my, it was my survival mechanism. And we would have very intense moments, which would, you know, play out in a variety of different ways, unhealthy ways. And I would just mistake some of that for a level of intimacy, but it was just intensity. Wow. Exactly what you said. Yes. Yes. <laughs> yeah. I relate. I resemble that remark. And then for somebody on the opposite end, just to kind of speak to people in that, like the person who we, you and I maybe has more, have been in relationships with in the past. What are symptoms mm-hmm. that they may be going through in the relationship when they are fearing, I believe it's intimacy at first and then abandonment, right? Right. Yep. So it's the quick, I can show up with the roses. I can show up as the good person. I can show up as the sexy woman, dashing man, whatever the story I'm beginning to make up myself. For myself and I can enter the relationship with all the things I need to do to hook someone mm. and then once I hooked them I'm like oh this isn't a catch and release program I wait you're still here and this this week you have an issue at work so for the people <laughs> who often are more avoidant uh in personality type and we can go between these two you're not you usually have a favorite starting position but I haven't met too many people that haven't tried it at some point the other way <laughs> maybe <laughs> maybe so if I am at this point avoidant in my style, then I would look at things like, oh my gosh, I can be charming, but or my partner can be charming, but once it stops being quote unquote fun, I'm out, mm. either emotionally or physically. Yes. I may begin to have to cast my net wider, meaning I am so interested in how people see me. So I'm the witting, engaging person at the bar. And then I go home to my my intimate partner and I'm not witty or engaging, (laughs) or I don't find them witty or engaging, like my true grumpy self or my quieter soul and withdrawing self shows up. Mm. And if they're not giving me the goo goo eyes, I will go seek that somewhere else. What I won't do is land my goo goo heart. What I won't do as an avoidant is probably say, gosh, I'm really struggling. Mm. Or if I'm off the pedestal and feeling that, it won't be like, phew, now we can totally brush our teeth while we talk together or you know there's something in between my teeth and that's okay no we don't show the spinach in between the teeth moment I keep the image up so both people are trying to live in the fantasy I just have a really big idea about the fantasy of me and how I am rescuing perhaps you so if I find myself fixing or needing people who need me that's more of the avoidant Mm, wow that's good okay so this is such a good description because I think 
I'm recognizing so many things in both of these lenses. And it's so helpful, even though I've heard so much about this before, obviously even at OnSite, um, I'm learning so much just from this conversation again. I think what's also coming up for me is then the added element and layer within this, which is a cycle of codependency that typically happens. Mm -hmm. And so can we just, with the time we have left, like kind of talk through some of that? Because I believe, and maybe you can correct me on this, Christine, that people, there's a level of a lot of people have a level of codependency and it might be a low grade fever or it might be a raging flu, but there's a, there's a level at, that is happening usually. And there's some people who are like, no, I've never ever struggled with codependency. I'm like, really? I don't. Okay. But, and maybe, maybe that is true. Maybe I'm totally wrong that there's some people out there that have never had issues with it, but um, what is, what yes, is that? I believe they're out there. Yeah, they are. Okay, great. Thank yes. you. for. I want to be friends with them. Hi. Um, yes. <laughs> if you're out there, call Kate. Call. I want to be your you. friend. Yes, mm-hmm. let's be friends. Or if you're a single male, please call me. Okay, just kidding. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I just had to do it. I had to throw it out there. But can we talk through like what happens in that situation? I'm happy to go whatever direction you want. I'll just toss it to you. Sure. Yeah, I think it's fair to say that codependency came hot on the scene somewhere around when we began to look at co-addiction. So it mm. came out of the addiction world and it really blew up in the eighties and nineties. And it began to lose its original meaning, I think, and become so overused yes. that I jokingly could say that I'm really codependent on my dog, my furry <laughs> friend right. who needs to eat before I do because his needs are so much more important. So I think it's important to bring it back to somewhat of a definition. That's good. Um, and I don't know, Tian Dayton does some wonderful work and she even brings in the research on attachment and trauma into this definition. But truthfully, I think there's a beautiful definition that she says about how our left brain, the language part of our brain, when we get scared, when we're back into that fear place, it gets overwhelmed and shuts down. What remains active, however, is the emotional scanning system or hypervigilance as it's been called. So again, to go backwards to your storyline, if Children who grew up in a home where there was maybe someone there or maybe someone that was there was sometimes drunk or Mm. that there was emotional unsafety for whatever reason in the house, then they can stay hyper-focused on reading other people's emotions. And in turn, and they will, and I have, sacrificed myself because in reading that person's other emotional signals... I can not only get adept, but I can do it to the exclusion of my own. So I become in touch more with what other people around me are feeling than even what's going on for me. That being said, one of the simpler definitions I know is if I stuck a thermometer in your mouth and then that's how I read how I was feeling, that's codependency. Ooh, wow. Yeah, that's good too. (laughs) So if I'm beginning to sacrifice my knowingness of myself or anything about my true self on behalf of you, there's a high that I think a lot of us get from someone wants to hear what we say or fixing or whatever. But more often than not, it's when I have become disconnected from myself in order to connect with the other or connecting with other in replacement of connecting with myself, that that Mm. becomes codependency. Yeah, this is, I've seen this played out in a variety of ways in my own life and in friendships. And I agree with you to the point that it's become such a, like kind of a, a pop culture term almost in a way like oh you're mm-hmm. really codependent with your cat like that's really bad um, you need to get that <laughs> right. under control like you're codependent with your phone now I don't know but like we could say it with anything these yeah. days and yes but I think to your point like where my check-in with this is am I so concerned about how the other person is feeling that it's then beginning to destroy me <laughs> that's beautiful that's a great one and there's symptoms of it. Uh, you know, basically, if I am having difficulty loving myself, yeah. um, oh, I could never take care of myself because there's a whole world out there that needs more care than me. Mm-hmm. If I'm putting my la- myself last each and every time, I will lose myself. And so, or difficult setting boundaries. If you think boundaries is a bad word, um, you might want to look at some things in your own life because there is no healthy relationship without 
boundaries, mm. not one. Yes, that's good. I think there's the we had a um, an author, Gary Thomas. He was on the podcast earlier last year. He wrote a an awesome book actually about when to walk away, and so it was just mm. an amazing book about boundaries, basically, and also how to spot toxic people. But I do believe in some ways Christians can be some of the most codependent people, in mm. my opinion, and that's just opinion I have because we just are overly willing to do things for other people at the expense of ourselves consistently. Yeah. And I think that, you know, you're allowed to have boundaries with your church. You're allowed to have boundaries with serving people and taking care of yourself. And I think if we look in the model of Jesus in the Bible, he had boundaries, you know, like he didn't just do everything at everyone's beck and call. I was reading in a book the other day about this hilarious how, you know, he's fine. Jesus finds out Lazarus is dying and he's like, okay, he waits two days until he goes to see him. (laughs) And I think it's hilarious. And I'm like, A, he's not in a hurry. We can learn a lot from that. B, he's not codependent. Because like, I mean, he just, he's like, okay, I will get to him when I get to him. You know, it's like, oh my gosh. Like, wow. I love that. I love you. This is one of his best Thank you for sharing that. It just makes me laugh. And so I think, you know, and as Christians, we, 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 and that comes back to me being like, what are your needs? What are your boundaries? How do you need to take care of yourself? And that's been a very hard journey for me figuring that out and finding that balance within relationships. But you know, in these situations of even love addiction, coming back to that, me knowing like if the other, if the way the other person is, is acting is if I'm constantly trying to change that, or I'm hyper-focused on that, or mm-hmm. that is dictating my everyday move. It's again, it's destroying me and it's, it's making my self-care and, and <laughs> go down the tubes, you know, and yes. and it's my thermometer is in their mouth and it only cares about that. Right. It's like, Yes. If I'm so other centered that I have lost my center, well, then it will be really hard to have any kind of relationship if you don't have a relationship with yourself. Yes. And so I've learned to practice very harshly over the years now because it's been a hard lesson of especially I believe that we train other people how they treat us. And so if you constantly, for example, have somebody that is texting you and you constantly text back immediately when they text you, you're training them that you are always available. So then when you start to change that pattern and let's say you don't respond right away and it takes six hours because you're busy at work, the the other person's like, wait a second, I'm sorry, why aren't you responding? (laughs) Because they will fill it in with the stories. Are you mad at me? What's happening? What's going on with you? Yes. But it's the process of, okay, I'm creating new boundaries systems, which is hard. And I think a big part of this process is a coming back to yourself, figuring out also then once I maintain and figure out how to find and start rebuilding up my own wholeness, then what do I need to put in place in my life? So that doesn't keep getting destroyed all the time. And say that again. (laughs) Once I can come back to my own wholeness and figure out that healing, what do I need in my life? So that doesn't keep getting teared down. I mean, I said in a different way, but same message. And that's what boundaries do we need to, to be able to maintain that? Right. And I always I'm, I tell people like, yes, their love is a level of it is sacrificial, but you also are a fully autonomous person that has your own soul, that has your own life, that you're, has your own relationship with God. And none of that should be fully sacrificed at all for the sake of anything. Yeah, no. <laughs> and I think we often do that uh, and figuring out, okay, what is this that is wholeness? What does that even look like for me? So many of us don't even know what that looks like for ourselves. So I'm like, let's start there. And then once we start working on that once we start experiencing that once we start piecing that back together how do what boundaries do we need to put in with people with our disciplines with our lifestyle to be able to maintain that level of wholeness that's what pretty much the journey has looked like for me that I then have to reflect in dating relationships which can be incredibly difficult but it's Mm -hmm. it's it's the journey it is yes and I love that phrase that someone said to me once it helped me on my boundaried journey is that the only people who really don't like it when you begin to have a more boundaried life are the same people who it really worked for them when you didn't have any boundaries at all i would pick up someone at the airport at 2 a.m even though i had to get to work in a few hours like 
I really needed to check myself. Mm. The intention is good, but if there is no self, then there is no ability to pick up anyone at the airport, no matter what the time is. If I'm running around as a zombie and I want to live life and I want to, in fact, live in love as if the two are one. I want to be so wholehearted in this journey that I get to be whole in this journey. Yeah, it's so good. I'm reading again about Jesus's lifestyle and just how many times like he went away to pray. That is a consistent practice all throughout the Gospels. He went away to pray. That was his spiritual discipline. And he made time for that all of the time. And even the disciples were like, Jesus, come over and do this thing. And he's like, I'm going away to pray. And I'm paraphrasing, obviously, but these are specific examples I think we kind of glaze over. But those are the moments Jesus is like, here's my hashtag boundary and here is my time (laughs) for my wholeness and my spiritual wholeness and my internal wholeness. And this this is my time. I need that because I can't do anything with y'all unless I also have this, you know? Yes. Oh my gosh. We just need so much of that. And Christine, this is so good. I can go on forever with you. Obviously, this is such a great conversation, <laughs> but I would just love to wrap up this conversation, Christine. And first of all, thank you. But before we fully end, I got to ask you our final question that everybody on the podcast gets asked, which is just, what is your final nugget of dating advice for the listeners today? Oh, that's a good one. And you're asking someone who's an old married woman. So (laughs) I think from this side of the fence, I would say that to not be tethered to other people's emotional experience or actions as you do the deep dive and the work to be whole as much as you can to do that self-love that get, takes you into the wholeness that you can have just a whole hearted experience in life. Uh, Telliard, I think, is the author that said, joy is the most infallible sign of God. So hopefully you're not just doing, you're having some fun. Mm. And in the exploration of you that is a part of dating, I would hope there's joy. Christine, thank you so much today for everything, for sharing your wisdom, for talking candidly about your experiences and and about Onsite. I mean, I just am so, I will cherish that time at Onsite forever. I'm still processing things I learned there. And I hope that everybody listening, if you've never heard of Onsite, I highly recommend you just at least take a gander on what they're all about because it's just truly a beautiful place. And yeah, Christine, I just want to thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you for being fearless in the way that you're loving on the world. I appreciate it. All right, my friends, I hope you enjoyed hearing from today's incredible expert. There are a lot of stigmas around mental health, and I hope that with this Heart of Dating Select series, we can begin to break those stigmas. There is truly no shame in needing to work on yourself or get help. And even more so, I think it is actually the wise thing to do to admit that you can't do it alone and you need to talk to someone. Last thing I wanna say here, if you wanna stay connected with us, come over and join the party on Instagram at at Heart of Dating and at Kateness. We have tons of new, helpful, and fun content up there each and every week just for you. And then lastly, if you want to get more connected with others in this Heart of Dating community, make sure to check out our private Facebook community at facebook.com forward slash heart of dating. In this community, we have upwards of 6,000 singles doing life together each and every week. So make sure to check it out there. All right, y'all, that's it for today's Heart of Dating Select episode. I will see you next week. This show is part of the Converge Podcast Network.